following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Welcome to a brand new week of the game. Mitch Fortner, Trey Coverdale, and Travion Berkland is here. He has officially taken over the full-time board duties. Is that correct? It's you Monday through Friday now? believe so. How does that make you feel? Yay. No, it's cool. <laughs> no, it's cool. Boy, don't be too excited. I, I would hope you'd be excited to be... Uh, I'm just tired today. That's why I'm like... You're about you know. to become an award-winning board op. Because we win awards every year on this show. Oh, nice. Now, why are you tired? Is it because of your overnight job? Yes, I had to stay till 8 a.m. today, so I got like... Oh, that's rough. Yeah. So, do you work from... Is it midnight to 6? It's usually like 10 to 6. But last night, it was 11 to 8, so I was like... I used to have Travion's job, being a clerk at a convenience store, Mm -hmm. and... uh, But I didn't do the overnight hours. There was already a guy that did... He he was the... He was the daily, or the nightly, I should say, overnight guy. The, The resident weirdo? Yeah, you, you know what? Uh, Actually, many, be- many, better way to put it, the resident weirdo wrangler. Many, well, hmm. <laughs> I would say actually yes to both. If you ask the community, yes, he was the overnight weirdo, uh, but also he saw everybody else yeah, as right. the weirdos of the community mm-hmm. and would lay down the law if necessary. <laughs> was so so untrustworthy of the community, he always parked his car right next to the window that was right next to the cash register, had to have his eyes on everything, did not mm-hmm. trust a soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travion is now that person. He does not trust anybody. <laughs> he thinks everybody is going to steal candy bars. I'm sure it happens all the time. I just don't notice. But back then, so this was prior to having to prepay or pay at the pump. I mean, it's a big store. You could pump your gas and then oh. go inside and pay. Ooh. And once in a while, we, I, I thought that you know, even back then, when I was working at this certain place, it was like oh nine, ten, eleven in those years. And even back then, I thought, you know, this is very generous. <laughs> You're very trusting of people. And uh, once in a while, we would have somebody mm-hmm. drive off. Mm-hmm. And if we got the plate number, we would dial, get the cops going. Hey, this, uh, this uh, white. 2002 Ford Ranger with the license plate, blah, 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 just took off northbound, and uh, they did not pay for the gas. Cops would get them, and usually they would make excuses like, oh, I, I, I totally forgot. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. time that happened, and the uh, bill was like over 200 bucks. Oh, my. Yeah, we did that at the Concordia store for like... Well, I worked at the Concordia store. That's oh, what I was go. talking about, yeah. Um, So we did that for like... When I started there for like six months, and then they're like, "Yeah, we're switched not, over. We're not going to do that anymore." <laughs> I'm surprised it lasted that long. I really am because you're uh, you're younger than me, of course. That this was probably just a year or two, maybe not even. Oh that yeah, long this ago. was last year. So. so, I mean, we're talking about eleven years difference, maybe a decade difference. Now, come on, they had to give the the police something to chase in Concordia. 
Well, there was a bunch of college kids. <laughs> uh, let's see. What was another issue? Uh, jealous boyfriends because their girlfriends were at parties. That was mm-hmm. an issue. Mm-hmm. Ran into, I, yeah, I, right back I, to the college kids. I told mm-hmm. that story one time of a um, a cop, his girlfriend, oh, boy. who was friends with everybody I hung out with. We are all friends. We all got along well. And she was over at our particular party, and he kept driving by and driving by. And then all of a sudden, he walks in uninvited and gave everybody Oops. MIPs and MICs. and But they all got- Ouch. Yeah, they all got dismissed because he entered the house illegally. So that's – there's one cop that w- was, like, in charge of busting parties, but he never tried to bust the party. He just did what he needed to do. Is like, hey, knocking the door. You guys got to call a noise complaint. Just make sure you turn down the music. Everybody was afraid to answer the door, though. <laughs> Didn't want to let the cop in. Just He, he, sure. was, he was trying yep. to be cool about it. He was like, hey, you guys are kids. I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to have a good time. You're college kids. This is what you're supposed to do. And especially at a JUCO school where, I mean, not very many people are over 21, but kids still want to party. Right. So even though it's illegal to be doing a lot of those things, you're not of age, try to bend the rules a little bit for a few. Just don't be stupid. The the realization that there was one one band of schools that I was not allowed to even consider because of the party aspect of things and that was junior colleges really i was told that if i went a junior college route which i mean grade wise and the like it, I, it wasn't in my wheelhouse but had i had i considered that i was paying out of my own pocket and the, there might be some listening like uh kids drinking underage like that shouldn't be tolerated whatsoever well there was a generation or two before me that if you lived in certain towns, you could probably drink and drive. And if you got pulled over, the cops would follow you home or take you home, but mm-hmm. it never charged you. Did you grow up in that era? No. But I did grow up with a dad whose nickname in high school was Suds. So <laughs> you're saying those uh, that nickname didn't run in the family? It didn't oh, carry no, on it, with it, Troy? No, I'm just, well, or no, a, not, a, not at the high school brother level. Brother or sister? Uh, not at the high school level. I, it, it did not uh, carry down. No, not to me anyway. And of course, Travion, he doesn't do anything like that. He's a, he's a good kid. He, he's going to wait until he's 21 to have his first drink, I'm sure. I've never had a drink in my life. Is that true? That's true. Are you interested in it, or is it just something like I mean, the I've Dare had, program got okay, to you? I've had sips of things, but like I've never like had a buzz or felt anything. So I don't know. Am I interested? I don't know. I don't. It's not something I really think about because it's never really been around. So I'm like, I don't know. I snuck a drink of my dad's Coors Light when I was like eight or nine. Yeah, I think I was given sips probably. Yeah, it was gross. I, at the time, yeah. I, I wasn't far behind that in terms of when I was given the first sip of Coors. Now, I won't say how old I was, but DG, our other co-host who's not here today, was present for my first full beer. Oh, my. He was there. Wow. Um, it's because at the time, I, it wasn't like I was like, friends, sure, but I didn't family. see these people every day. Yeah, more family. Just hanging out with them for the night type of thing. And uh, he didn't know about it, by the way. The family part of this equation didn't know about it. I don't know if, he's, if he does today. Maybe he's listening right now. Paul, I took one of your beers and I drank it. So <laughs> I'll, I'll buy you one someday. Uh, have I welcomed us to the show yet? Essentially, That's you have. It's our cold open. Yeah. Welcome to the game. Mitch, Troy, Travion. Too many T's in here. What are we doing? This kid. 
I know. Well, even tell us he's rich, but he has this rich last name. Oh, all right. Uh, coming I'm up, be working night shift if I was rich. Hey, some rich parents make their kids get out in the world and earn a paycheck. Not everybody has everything handed to them. Fair enough. Oh, the jokes. Like Troy. Oh, uh, oh, give me a break. My dad was a frigging billing clerk for a railroad. What do you think? Hey, those railroad people make good bucks. And I hear there's a nice pension. There is a nice pension. That's why I almost got into conducting back in the day. <laughs> I heard the money was pretty good. Yeah. Like, we're talking six figures a year just to drive a train. I could, I could toot the whistle every so often and earn 100 k Man, there's a lot to that mess, though. There's a lot to that mess. Including a lot of hours not at home. A lot of hours not at home. I'm cool with traveling. A lot of schedules that get overridden. Yeah. Sounds horrible. Oh, it's bad. Did you guys have a good weekend? Mine was super short. Saw the folks yesterday, did lunch. Uh, I spent Saturday basically just groggy. Thanks to picking up the uh, latest of the boosters. Well, of course, my highlight of the weekend, hanging out with my girlfriend. But second place would have to be Friday night, Coke Arena, Wichita, Kansas. Hmm. And it was thanks to a gentleman who is the all-time leading scorer at K-State, where he's number zero, and he's number one in our hearts, at least in mine, when it comes to basketball, Jacob Pullen. Because Jacob Pullen gave us one more memory. One more memory to add to the list, and I don't want this to be forgotten because we're talking 12 years after he played for K-State and still giving K-State fans memories. Those are are not supposed to happen, but the TBT has given us that opportunity to witness some more of those memories, and Jacob Pullen on Friday night delivered that memory. Fans rising to their feet. This could be it. Jacob Pullen going one-on-one. He's cut off. Uh-oh, he's got space. Oh! shot game winner, Jacob Pullen. Man, he blew the roof off of Coke Arena down there in Wichita when he uh, caused a little miscommunication with the Lone Star Legends defense. And he had wide open space to shoot from the Shocker logo, the Wooshock, uh, the Wheat coming out of the head, shot from the wheat of the logo (laughs) and knocked in a three-pointer to win the game. But it didn't stop there because in celebration, he went up to the the fans, the K-State fans in attendance, went into the stands, high-fiving, celebrating with the people in attendance. And if you go back and watch that play, it wasn't just K-State fans that was making all that noise that popped once that three-pointer swished through the nylon. It was also Wichita State fans. They weren't in it. Until, uh, you know, when the Elam ending came up. Then they started to get into it. Then they started standing up with the K-State fans, and everybody popped for Jacob Pullen's shot. And I got to say, he is, I, I should have pulled this up earlier, but he's around my age, like 31 years old, 32. Uh, I think he's just a tad bit older than me. Uh, but like I said, at that age, he says he's getting old. He is getting old when it comes to basketball, yet he is still playing. He has found ways to continue to play professional basketball. He had a cup of coffee in the NBA. He's been playing around the world. 
but he had made time this year to come back here to play in the TBT. He had been invited back. He wasn't, of course, the only K-State alumni on the purple and black. Justin Edwards, Thomas Gibson was a lot of fun to watch in those two games. It didn't go well Saturday. Uh, Shorthanded, first of all. They had just like seven guys Mm -hmm. ready to go. And if you watched that game, I don't know if you did, Troy, but the North Texas team, the alumni team, which was almost in a way fitting that Poland would play them because he had a nice game. And so did Denny Clemente back in 2010 mm-hmm. when they meet in the first when they met in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But the uh, boy, they hit a lot of threes and they looked a lot more in shape, maybe a lot younger. Mm-hmm. But Justin Edwards was also on that team. Mike McGurl was swishing some threes. He was a big part of K State winning that game. Uh, the purple and black winning that game with a big three pointer to tie it up, and then it was anybody's ball game heading to the Elam ending. It it. Saturday looked more like uh, guys that found themselves tired and just unable to keep up with making the shots that North Texas's team was making. Bleed Green. And credit to Bleed Green. They were making they they made purple and black uncomfortable. This essentially, it's a big reason why I'm, I wanted to talk about this though because I felt like that game like. Maybe we kind of lost interest in what was going on with Purple and Black because they were just getting slaughtered in the second half, even though they are trying to make a comeback. You know, within like 12, it's about as close as they got. They were just outmanned, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also didn't get to see Michael Beasley. And I did want to touch on that for just a moment because I got bad information. I shared some of that information, and it wasn't true. About how the Michael Beasley talk, it was kind of false advertising. He probably wasn't going to be there anyway. Yes, he wasn't there, but he already had a previous endeavor, and he'd already agreed to play for the big three in the three-on-three, mm-hmm. and that's where he was, and he was in Dallas for that. He had a contract. Yeah. That's where he was supposed to be, and if if the purple and black got past Saturday, he could potentially join the team, and if they won, they would be playing today, right. and it would have been against the Wichita State alumni team, and we're, t- we're probably having a whole different show. We're probably having a whole show, maybe not a whole show, but a show headlined about that potential matchup because that is gigantic news around here, definitely. The potential return of Michael Beasley against a Wichita State alumni team who's been awesome so far through the TBT, but he wasn't able to be there. And I think a lot of us forgot that he was a part of the big three, but it wasn't like he was just no-showing the team. It wasn't anything like that. Um, and of course, the the, uh, the purple and black they never like exactly came out and said, "Listen, this is why Michael Beasley's not here." We announced him a part of the roster. We never got to see him, but fingers crossed, Michael Beasley he's going to play this year in China, and hopefully, maybe if things work out and there's no contracts in the way, maybe we could have have this happen next year. I mean, I don't think Jacob Pullen is going to lose his game in a year's time. I highly doubt Michael Beasley loses his his game in a year's time. I thought Henry Walker was quite interesting because I thought – so it looked like Thomas Gibson had really <laughs> slimmed down. He had really slimmed down since we last saw him on a court. I, I kind of compare it to when he was at K-State. He seems like he has really slimmed down over the last – oh, how long has it been? Six years or so, seven years or so since he's played. And I thought Henry Walker, Bill Walker, got a little bit bigger. Uh, over that time as well. But that's the evolution of life. 
And even though it didn't work out Saturday, I had a blast watching those guys like Poland and Walker play again together. Thomas Gibson seems like he's more agile now than he was a few years ago. Um, unfortunately, Bill Walker still is a step slow on defense. Well, <laughs> we could. I mean, I, just I'm, defense in general. I, yeah, I don't want to judge yeah. him too much. I, it just, you know, they had to save their gas somewhere. And where that gas saving took place is they went eco yeah. mode on the three-point yeah. line. Yeah. Eco mode on the three-point line. And Bleed Green took full advantage of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to hate him for it or anything like that. No. Friday no, was so much it, fun. It, it just was a reminder that Bill Bill was uh, a defensive liability when he was here. And, you know, age hasn't changed that. <laughs> All right. Now, th- boy. So No, no, no. I'm not saying that to your comment. I, the thing is, my memory is so bad, I can't really confirm nor deny. Right. I, I you know, my memory is so bad. Plus, of course, his first year, first semester he was here, the knee injury. Sure. And then the next year, of course, I mean, what really stands out above anybody else is, of course, Michael Beasley. Uh, Still to come in hour two, a couple of KU coaches not on the road this summer. There's some details to that. It's a bit funky. I don't like what they're doing. We'll get to that in the second hour. Join us at 510 for that. But coming up next, uh, Stuart Mandel is... Boy, really trying to back up the Pac-12 in this conference realignment, but mostly slash this new TV contract and how they're better than the Big 12. There's one part of that I'm like, that just doesn't make sense at all. That's next on the game. What do I know about the restaurant business? Troy, do you know anything about this restaurant business? Limited. Why? More on that at 450. Welcome back to the game. Oh. Yeah. First of many quotes today, boys and girls. (laughs) The game continues on K-Man. If you miss any of the show, don't forget, we always podcast it, right? We do this podcast thing. Our numbers are through the roof as they have been for many months now. As a matter of fact, I, I I was looking at the numbers earlier today. I like bragging about them. Makes me feel good. And that is our podcast numbers for this year have already surpassed the total of all of 2021. So how about that? All right. It's pretty good, right? We're just in July. How does that work? How's that even possible? I don't know. I have to try that YouTube thing. Uh, the game continues. So, oh, Stuart Mandel. Stuart Mandel from The Athletic has, uh, of course, like all the national riders in college football, college basketball, college athletics, have probably shared some two cents, and so has everybody that is interested in college football, college athletics, and college football realignment, college realignment, has shared some thoughts, and it's most likely – positive towards the ones they root for, the ones they're hoping that come out better than the others. Well, Stuart Mandel has really been backing up the Pac-12 lately, and the latest article that was put out 
says the Pac-12 is in the midst of crucial TV negotiations. True. They're currently going on right now. So he dug through six seasons of TV ratings and found that six remaining schools rate higher than any Big 12 holdover. Oregon fares nearly the same as USC. And 10.30 p.m. slots on ESPN are essential. It was the last part of that that made me really made me really scratch my head. I had to really think about that one and think, is that true? So for the Pac-12, probably. The Pac-12 is mostly on, of course, the West Coast, that furthest West time, the time zone. That's the name I was looking for, the word I was looking for. And a lot of those slots, yes, have featured Pac-12 games over the years. A few in other conferences. It doesn't even have to be Power 5. There's been some, of course, in the, uh, out of the uh, – oh, gosh, why am I blanking on the conference name? Um, Mountain West. Mm-hmm. There we go. Had to, be, had to get there for a second. So the Pac-12 and its negotiations with TV – and trying to get the most money they possibly can with what they currently have is going to be a task. And just from what the Pac-12 has versus the Big 12, the Big 12 is going to be negotiating after everybody. But does the Pac-12 really have more leverage? If you look at the 10:30 time slot, here is my argument. Yes, I know a lot of Pac-12 games have been broadcasted on that for quite some time because they are on the they're on the left half of the country. It just can it's more convenient for them and we know the victims of conference realignment have been those that don't come in the best er- that aren't located in the best areas. I'm not talking about, you know, there's more crime in those areas or anything like that. No, it's just location is a huge part of it. USC and UCLA, they're in Los Angeles, the second largest sports market in the country with first going to New York City. I mean, there's a reason why the Big 10 targeted those two specifically. They wanted that market. They are now coast-to-coast, New York City to Los Angeles. I mean, the SEC, with Oklahoma and Texas jumping over, of course that hurts the Big 12. The majority of primetime or major television games for the Big 12, yes, most of them have featured Texas and Oklahoma. The 10.30 time slot, though, we're talking, that's Eastern time, so we're talking 9.30 Central. Let's be real. I mean, the most people that are watching those games are the guys in bars that don't have courage to go talk to girls. They're the ones standing around with a beer in their hand with their buddies, not on the dance floor. They're up watching the TV. Heck, by that time, the average college football fan is burnt out on college football for the day. I really appreciate what Fox has done with Big Noon Kickoff. Because at first, on paper, when you thought about it, like Fox is going to try to make their prime game 11 a.m. But you know what? They, they've done it. With the TV rights they already had locked up, they had the power to do that. And, of course, ESPN, ABC is focused on 6 o'clock, and CBS was at 2.30. Making 11 a.m. a big deal was a great move. Because especially also starting their own morning show, which is not going to draw the ratings like College Game Day does, but they also market it really well. The Big 12 has really been also featured on that. Of course, the Red River rivalry is going to be, is on that until the SEC goes to ESPN solely. 
And let's bear in mind, there's always going to be a difference. As much as we talk about cable versus over the air, over the air is always going to have more viewers than what cable does. And while ESPN still owns College Game Day, uh, the fact is that Fox can make it competitive just by the fact that they're on over-the-air television. The time slots in order of money that it draws, viewers that it draws, across the landscape of college football goes in order of 6 o'clock primetime slot, 11 a.m. is second, 2.30 would be third, mm-hmm. and then fourth and in last place. And we're talking just Saturday. We're just talking Saturday. The fourth and final spot goes to the bookend, the last game of the quadruple headers. Quack after dark. The 9.30, yes. <laughs> well, and yes, I suppose the Pac-12 has a number of teams they can put on those games, of course, because they're not putting Oregon usually on that spot. True. I mean, you're getting Arizona versus UCLA or Arizona State versus Oregon State. Washington well, maybe Washington, Utah. Washington, Utah would be a Fox game. That is a Fox game. That's correct. Yeah, that's going to be earlier in the day. Pac-12, if this is what you got going for you when it comes to these TV negotiations, if Stuart Mandel is putting out there what you're firing with and you're arguing that having the 1030 time slots, the 930 Central, as being ex- just extremely essential to having you – draw money for TV rights, that is no bueno. Because the Big 12 just adding BYU, I mean, you can argue BYU, ESPN might want to put them instead of just throw out a team, like one that's Stanford maybe, Stanford or Cal or whoever. They might want to put BYU over if it's a good Big 12 matchup. It wouldn't happen very often, but it might happen once or twice. So you're losing one of those spots as well. The Big Ten is now going coast to coast. Mm-hmm. Now, are they? I mean, are they going to want to put them on that time slot? No. Probably not. I'm just saying, like, it's not a special time slot. Everybody nearly has somebody that they can put in that time slot. ESPN, ESPN2, FS1, Fox, ESPNU. It's not that special, and it gets the worst ratings out of all of them. So you can make that argument if you want, but man, is there a cap on that argument. There's also the fact that it winds up being a comparison between apples and oranges in the aspect that much of what he's looking at, specifically with that game being what's driving, if you will, Pac-12 interest, how many games involving the teams that he wants to say that there was more interest for the Pac-12 teams over in terms of the Big 12? How many of those games from the Big 12 are getting put on to ESPN Plus or being shuffled off to different points that draw fewer eyeballs to begin with? FS1 comes to mind. It, it winds up being a nonlinear comparison when you start to dig into this. What it comes down to is spinning data in a way that it paints the 
Pac-12 in a better picture than the Big 12 because he wants the Pac-12 to look better than the Big 12. And it's frustrating, but I'll be honest with you, even before I got into college, I got frustrated at the mindsets that were out there regarding Big Ten and Pac-12. Because much like the approach with the Rose Bowl and how precious that is to both of those conferences, probably not anymore since the Big Ten just stole two teams from the pack. But you know, when you start talking about essentially they viewed themselves as the prestige conferences because they were so big academically and athletically, were AAU conferences, where all of these things where they built this level of prestige in their minds and much of the national sports media, much like the latching on to Notre Dame over the years, but much of that national sports media has latched on to that prestige viewpoint of the Big Ten and of the Pac-12, and it has stuck for decades. And that's where we are right now, is that they can't understand why one of their prestige leagues is just about to implode while the Big 12 is standing. A year ago, I'm in the position going, how is it that the Big 12 is going to implode when the PAC has a lousy commissioner and has completely been mismanaged for the last decade? If you want to look at it from a management standpoint, the Big 12 is in much more solid footing even than it was a year ago, but even at the time, last year, I felt it was in much better situation management-wise than what the Pac-12 was because of the varying political factions that you have to deal with in the Pac-12, specifically Stanford and Cal thrown in for good measure because of their anti-religious bent. BYU, hello. Baylor, hello. Um... And the fact that you've got so many disparate views on how college athletics should be run. USC wants to be aggressive. They're also a private school. Cal doesn't give a hoot about their athletics, and it shows in their facilities and everything involving the Bears right now. And completely wide open, wide open swath, if you will, between those two schools. Politically and in, in everything, when you look at it, it's 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 amazing that that conference has actually been able to manage to put things together as long as they have because of all of those things going on in the background. And the media is driving a lot of that right now and just trying to save it because it's their prestige. If it wasn't for the SEC being so good, you know how they'd view the SEC? They'd view the SEC the same way they view the Big 12. It's a bunch of rubes in flyover country. That's the viewpoint of it. The Pac-12 is hanging on because of Oregon. And that's it. I, I hear the argument for Washington, but it's Oregon. Washington hasn't been relevant in how long? If, if Oregon, yeah, they were you know a few years ago because they got in the college football playoff. But since then, you're right. If Oregon were to leave just by themselves... Bye-bye Pac-12. Even if you add on a number of schools, 
your 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 deal is going to be is not going to be great. There is a little curveball to that. Well, the curveball is does Oregon and Washington want unequal shares? The other curveball is that uh, I'm hearing that Phil Knight actually is lobbying on the behalf of Stanford as well as Oregon in all of his discussions because he apparently is a heck of a donor to Stanford as well. Mm. So that makes things a little more interesting when you start looking at pairings coming out of that conference. I mean, Washington has at least a brand to it <laughs> and a scenic place to play. My goodness. But well, in Seattle, I mean, yeah. Location. Absolutely. Something Washington State does not have. Oregon State I mean, technically, they're closer to Portland than Oregon is, but Oregon is a mighty brand. Correct. Gigantic brand. Correct. It is the brand of the West Coast. Correct. <laughs> Tell that to USC fans. <laughs> well, just, it is what it, or UCLA. I mean, if you want to argue with what well, history, I know. What history I know. has to say. Uh, I know. <laughs> I'm just pointing out USC fans would be all over you if you said that in Pac-12 country. I mean, am I wrong? Like, you tell me, am I wrong? No, you're not. You're not wrong at all. I'm just knowing how USC fan reacts. Here's here's another aspect of this that floors me, and that is that Utah fans are so full of themselves that they're the ones that act like they don't want to be a part of the Big 12. And that they're they're Big 10-worthy. Quote unquote. And well, not over Oregon and it, not over Washington. No, no, they're not. They're not. They're, they're in a better situation than Wazoo is. They're in a better situation than Oregon State is in. Absolutely. A better program all the way around. Absolutely. I thought Colorado might actually be a little bit snooty about that, too. But. Colorado is snooty in that aspect. I was going to say, what are, you, what are you hearing from Boulder? What do fans want to do? You know, and there's the funny part about that is you've got actually a very sizable divide now between administration and uh, the the big money types in Boulder and what the average fan wants to do. Um, the average fan would actually like to see it probably come back to the Big 12. The administration wants that prestige of being in the Pac-12, back to the prestige aspect of it. And that was how they sold it when they made the move was, oh, we're moving into this prestigious, oh, and we've got all these uh, these California alums. It hasn't really helped them much. Boulder has alums from all over the country. They yes. legalized marijuana quicker than... Well, they were second, right? Were they second in legalizing, or was they, were they first what, recreational? Uh, recreational, Washington beat them to it. Okay. <laughs> well, I, know, I know Cali. Which, Cali was the first for medicinal. Correct. Yeah. I didn't know if Colorado... No, no Was- Washington was the first to, to go rec, and then it was... And then it was Colorado. How much did uh, did you notice a change in Colorado once that all took place, the legalization? Did it really change, like, homelessness type of stuff? They will argue that it did, but in the grand scheme of things, it really didn't change a lot of that. Uh, the economy has more to do with that, and opioids has oh, more to yeah. do than, with that than, any, than anything you can put on marijuana. Um, now, 
I will note this, that it is unbelievable the tax dollars that go into the coffers each month off of marijuana sales. But I've heard. you also still have, and, and you know, let's be, be upfront about this, in many ways it's like when Kansas was county by county uh, determining whether they were dry or wet or city by town or what, however they wanted to do it as time eventually moved on. Um, Greeley, as an example, does not allow marijuana sales in city limits. Hmm. Gardens, really? Garden City, which essentially butts up against it, does. It's a replay of history in the case of those two communities, because up until 1969, Greeley was a dry city. No alcohol in Greeley. Garden City was founded so that they could sell alcohol. Yeah. How about that? A little history lesson from Troy Coverdale. Speaking of history lesson, baseball fans don't go anywhere. I think you're going to like this segment from Troy next. I got got a text from T Jax that said Colorado was absolutely the first recreational state. You're, we were doing some research over the break. Election Day was November 6th that year, and and both passed it on Election Day. And it was just a matter of implementation, and Washington beat Colorado to it. Oh, well, there you go. That's all. I mean, it wasn't by much. It was, you're looking at essentially weeks when it was done. Now, for this next segment, Troy, I just say, uh, don't make a jerk out of me. (laughs) Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't make a jerk out of me, okay? Why? How would I make a jerk out of you? Just don't do it. I know you had a few words and thoughts on Major League Baseball and the Hall of Fame class that was announced. First of all, 17 years too late, but bless Buck O'Neill. So glad to see that Buck finally is in the hall where he belongs as the ambassador that he is for the game of baseball. And whether it's the Negro Leagues, whether it is baseball overall, Buck O'Neill should have been among the Negro Leaguers that were put in in 2006. And yet it speaks volumes about the man that he stood up there that time and gave the speech for those gentlemen's induction. Yeah, allow me and, to correct myself, not announced, inducted. Yes. And had and had no ill will, at least in his heart, that any of us knew about it. And I think that that remains the, the biggest thing about Buck O'Neill. We could use a lot more of Buck O'Neill in our days, honestly, in going about our lives that way. Buck was tremendous. Loved, loved just taking the opportunities to chat when I was at Royals games back in the day. Uh, actually had the chance to tour what was the offices of the Negro League Museum when it was still a dream. And Buck was there to regale us. It was part of a class I was in here at K-State one summer, uh, History in America, uh, History of Baseball in America. And uh, we did a field trip over to 17th and Vine, and that was a a blast. So thrilled for Buck O'Neill to go in. I'm disappointed that this class was as um, 
let's call it veteran heavy in that, for example, um, four of the men that were inducted besides Buck have passed away. Gil Hodges, Minnie Mignoso uh, among them. Tony Oliva and Jim Cat absolutely uh, should have been in previously. And I would argue Minoso should have been as well. Um, Gil Hodges, probably. At least he was on that cusp. Sports writers have done a... Boy, am I railing on sports writers today or what, given our last discussion? Uh, but, but sports writers especially have been among the stingiest when it comes to baseball's Hall of Fame. When you discuss who should be in and who should be out... Uh, baseball has tended to be the one in which the limitations um, are almost unrealistic in some ways. And it's because they view the baseball hall for whatever reason to be this above and beyond exceptionalism in comparison. It's why you see the larger classes at the football hall of fame, for example, um, you would have a hard time arguing with me that Tony Oliva and Jim Cat and Minnie Mignoso should not have been in the hall previously. And it was wonderful to see that we're finally getting some of that corrected at the hall. But it means that here we are again this year with just one inductee as voted on by sports writers. And it's David Ortiz, who is another person who is a wonderful ambassador for the game in a different way than Buck and yet in a similar way in that he loved the game. Before he continued, may I ask, during his uh, speech, did he say this is no. our blank in no. Hall of Fame? No, he did not. His daughter sung the national anthem, by the way. Really? That's so cool. So that, that's a nice touch. Um, but one of the things that I do love about his story is that you're talking about someone who grew up in the Dominican, still loves the Dominican, and didn't take his first run in Major League Baseball as a loss, but came back. Remember, the Twins had him and gave up on him, and then he latched on with the Red Sox and Boy. became... A designated hitter in the Big process. Poppy. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know there's going to always be arguments about, well, was he or was he not? I'm interested to see if we ever do move past those fights. Meaning, you know, are we ever going to put Barry Bonds in or not? Well, I was going to ask you as we get close to wrapping up, I wanted to squeeze in this question. So the way you were talking previously, I'm like, man, I've heard that argument a hundred times about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. Is there anybody you can think of baseball-wise that would fit like a deep purple of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It took decades for them to finally get their due. Is there anybody on your mind that is not it? Of course, you probably don't remember exactly who's all in the Hall of Fame, but is there anybody off the top of your head that stands out? Let me double-check one name because I – question sorry about that i am looking down okay good he is never mind um rod carew was coming to mind and i'm like no he's in 
and so something triggered that from me yesterday. Off the top of my head, I do not have one. Well, here's the deal. We're, we're about to take our hour break. We'll get our local news going. It'll give you some time to maybe think of one because you're you're the new baseball guy on the show, <laughs> which I still – we're going to bring back the weekly Royals report with Troy. He still has a job. He still has a job, and he <laughs> we need that update every week. <laughs> so over this break, I want you to find a Major League Baseball player, coach, whatever, manager, I mean – or whoever that is not in the Hall of Fame but definitely deserves to be like who would be at the top of your list. Meanwhile, while Troy's thinking of that, coming up in hour two, uh, KU, a couple of basketball coaches not on the recruiting trail this summer. That is a little interesting. Number one song of the day, and Ask Us Anything is all coming up right now in a couple of minutes. Your local news. Don't go anywhere. Hour two next.